0: The, the, fan. Fan.
1: The, the Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hollywood. Now cut that out! It's half
3: past eight. It's half past eight, New York time. Time to wake up America and stump the experts. Each week at this time, Lucky Strike sets up a panel of four wizards of quiz for you to try to stump. For every question we use, Lucky Strike pays out $10 plus a copy of the new Information Please quiz book. If your question stumps us, you get $25 more plus a 24-volume set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Send your questions to Information Please, 480 Lexington Avenue, New York City. If our editorial staff edits your questions a bit, don't fret over it. In case of similarity, we'll have to be sole judge of who shall be paid. And all questions become the property of Information Please. And I'll light up a lucky strike as I present our Master of Ceremonies, the literary critic of the New Yorker magazine, Clifton Fadiman, Mr. Fadiman. Ladies and gentlemen, information, please, as always, is entirely unprepared and unrehearsed.
4: Tonight, we have with us Mr. Franklin P. Adams of Cunning Tower fame and his partner in wisdom, Mr. John Kieran, the sports authority and possessor of millions of facts. And as our guests, we are glad to welcome back Mr. Lewis Bromfield, the famous novelist, and Miss Margaret Leach, whose most recent book, Reveille in Washington, is a book-of-the-month club choice and a bestseller. Mr. Brownfield, by the way, I must mention, is in impeccable evening clothes, despite the fact that he was warned that this was a completely informal program. Remember, for each question that's missed, Lucky Strike rings up $25, and that's paid out to the sender, plus 24 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, we're off with a question coming to us from Miss Edna Fall of Hazleton, Iowa. Can you, Miss Leach and gentlemen, make up a menu for us, a menu for a meal, uh, from nursery rhymes that happen to mention foods? And it would be nice to begin with the first course and end with the last. Uh, Mr. Adams, want to start us off? With the first course? Well, I'll take any course. <laughs> i go got first have you, Miss Bromfield? Peas porridge hot, peas porridge.
5: Peas porridge hot, peas porridge cold.
4: Yes, that's two dishes of peas porridge to begin with. That's very good. Soup to begin with. That's that's, good. Good. <laughs> with. Uh, that's, that's fine for breakfast. Uh, Mr. Adams, what was the one you had in mind? The queen of hearts, the king of hearts,
5: he stole some, uh, stole some tarts. Neighbor of uh, Neighbor of Yes, that,
4: that gives us tarts. That's dessert. Uh, that is dessert. You're through. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Miss Leach?
6: Curds
4: and whey. Uh, what's the nursery rhyme which contains... Little
6: Miss Muffet was
4: eating it. Uh, little Miss Muffin was eating them. them. Curds and whey. That's right. That gives us uh, uh, we over accented on the cereals tonight. Miss <laughs> Kieran?
5: Want some uh, meat? Sure. <laughs> uh, Taffy was a Welshman. Taffy was a thief. Taffy came to my house and stole a roast of beef. Yes. Uh, I was waiting for the
4: pièce de résistance. That's very good, Mr. Br- Bromfield. I've still got an entree. <clears> as well. Four and
5: twenty blackbirds
0: baked into a pie. Yes, that's that a very
4: one. good one. And, and rare, too. Very hard to get. Uh, how about a beverage? We haven't had anything to drink. Jack and
5: Jill went up the hill.
4: Yes, and <laughs> it's a rather simple meal. Uh,
5: <laughs> the friendly cow. There's some salad there, too. A big one? Some salad in that one. In too. what one? Vinegar and
4: brown paper. That's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> a lovely salad that makes. A little Jack Horner. Of course, with a Christmas pie would give us an extra dessert. Uh, How about this one, gentlemen? This comes from Florence True of Elgin, Illinois. Can you identify the following American ladies? I have three of them here. See if we can get two out of three. Uh, Which one made such a charming hostess that a general delayed pursuing a defeated army? This is from our own history. One who was such a charming hostess that a general... uh, uh, Mr. Bromfield, is that your hand that was Mm -hmm.
5: up? I don't know know <clears throat> her name, but it was on Murray Hill in the Battle of Long Island.
4: Uh, well, what do you think her name and was? Mrs. Baldwin. M- no, it Murray. That. Murray. That's yes. it. On Murray oh, Hill. No, 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 that's, that's, right. that's quite right. Now, which, uh, who's extravagant shopping embarrassed the President of the United States? Uh, Miss
6: Leach? That of Mrs. Lincoln.
4: Uh, yes. Uh, why, why, why was she given to such uh, hysterias of shopping, would you say, Miss Leach? I... Well, Aren't I they don't... all? Oh, no.
6: <laughs> it really amounted almost to an abnormal thing in the case of Mrs. Lincoln. She just loved to spend money.
4: Yes, that doesn't sound so abnormal to Mr. Kieran, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Which uh, one, an American lady, sent a cipher message which led to the Battle of Bull Run? I guess this must be the first Battle of Bull Run. There were two. Uh, Miss Leach, was that your hand up? Uh,
6: well, that was uh, Mrs. Greenhow.
4: Who was Mrs. Greenhow?
6: Mrs. Greenhow was a Washington Society woman, a Marylander who was very ardent for the South, Yeah. and who sent, a, who established a cipher code with one of the Confederate Army officers and sent the news to Beauregard that the uh, Federals were going to advance. And it
4: was that which led to the defeat of the Federals in this first battle of the Civil to War. It, yes. uh, has that been generally known for a long time? I don't remember ever having come across it in my own history books.
6: Well, it has been published. It has
4: been published. Yes. Well, you folks probably read it, but uh, I haven't uh, ever come across it. Well, that gives us two out of three. Uh, No, it gives us three out of three. I beg your pardon. And sends us on to this one from Dr. Matthew Klein of New York City. This is uh, a question entirely about John and Lionel Barrymore, which will no doubt please John and Lionel Barrymore. Can you identify these plays or movies in which John and Lionel appeared together? It so happens that uh, each of these incidents that I shall describe deals with a prison scene. See if you can uh, recollect them. Get two out of three. Now, in the first case, John is imprisoned for life for killing Lionel with a cane. Uh, Mr. Adams. Peter Ebbetson. Peter Ebotson, yes. Who was Peter? Uh, who played Peter Ebbetson in Peter Ebotson? Which of them? Remember? Uh,
0: John. That's right.
4: And uh, Colonel Ebbetson, his uncle, was Lionel. Now... In the second case, John has Lionel imprisoned as a madman in order to get Lionel's girlfriend away from him, Mr. Bromfield. The Jest. The Jest. That's quite right. And who played uh, the parts there, do you remember? D-
0: there were brothers in that
5: also. <clears throat> and uh, Lionel was what's called a condottiere. And the younger brother was devoted to art, music, literature, and women. The older one didn't like yes, it. Yes, what a firm.
4: Uh, <laughs> In the order name? <laughs> or oh, vice versa. <laughs> that gives us two out of two. Now, how about this one? Lionel allows John to escape uh, while he's taking him to prison for grand larceny. As he's taking him to prison, he uh, permits him to escape. Any of you remember that? We're safe on this question. Uh, it's from a movie, Arsene Lupin, and uh, John plays Lupin the crook, and Lionel is the gashar, the detective. Uh, and that doesn't come back to any of you, Miss Leach, or gentlemen? How about this? From John P. Finn of Kew Gardens, Long Island. Uh, this is a geographical question. Get two out of three if you can. What countries have these subdivisions, um, among other subdivisions? Uh, Assam, Bihar, and Punjab would be found where, Mr. Kieran? It's in India. In India, it's quite right. Uh, where would you find the districts of Kewatan, Franklin, and Mackenzie, Mr. Kieran? again. Well, I think that would be in Canada. That's quite right, Mr. Kieran, in Canada. And where would you find the districts or divisions of Kyrgyz, Azerbaijan, Kazakh, and Turkmen? Mr. Brownfield. Russia. In Russia, yes. Those are all the uh, lesser-known states of the Union of Socialist Soviet Republics. Now, how about this one from Ethelin Underwood Dowling of Woodside, New York? Again, get two out of three. In what poems are these pairs of adjectives to be found? Here's the first pair. Contrite, humble. Mr. Kieran. That's in Kipling's Recessional. Uh, Can you
5: give us the lines? Uh, An humble and a contrite heart. Uh, Well, that's the line.
4: That's quite right. What's the one that goes before it? Well, uh, I've just forgotten which particular verse it is. If you so, start uh, me, I'll give you the whole thing. Uh, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Don't. Still stands thine ancient, ancient sacrifice. sacrifice.
5: Yes
4: that's right I'm sure that Mr. Kieran could give us the entire poem if pressed or even if not pressed. <laughs> How about uh, this pair? Fearful, mournful. Where would you find that pair of adjectives? Fearful, mournful. It's a very well-known poem that many of us memorize in school, I think. And, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, to give you a hint, uh, Mr. Kieran? Would that be Longfellow? No. Well, I don't no, know. it is not. <laughs> Miss Leach, any idea? It's about know. a character that appears in your book. It's from uh, Walt Whitman's Oh, Captain, My Captain. Oh, Captain, My Captain, our fearful trip is done. And a little Should later on, he says, I, with mournful tread, walk the deck. My captain lies fallen, cold, and dead. Remember that now, Miss Leach? How about this one? That gives us one wrong. Rare, perfect. Where would you find that, Mr. Adams? James Russell Wall. That's quite right. What poem? What is
0: And what is so rare as a day in June. And
4: that's right. And what's the poem called, Mr. Adams? Uh,
0: the Vision of Sir Launfal. That's right. Uh, that's,
4: uh, what is so rare as a day in June? And then how does it go on? We have to get the word perfect in. come perfect. That's day. right, Mr. It. Adams. Thank you very much. How about this one? From James L. Jowett <coughs> of Norristown, Pennsylvania. I think we ought to get all on this. Now, you're going to hear uh, a newspaper boy whom we have imported for the occasion uh, recite some headlines for us. Uh, well, construct a headline about the news events of the past from the words that you hear in the following extras. Tell us uh, what is being said. Let's have the first.
0: What's three, what's
4: What's going on, gentlemen? <laughs> Any idea? Uh,
5: Mr. Curran. Uh, If I understood him, it had to do with the uh, First World War. Go ahead. Well, uh, an assassination of, uh, uh, by Gabrielle Princeps
4: of... uh, He couldn't tell, he didn't say all that,
5: sure. (laughs) Well, that was that, Sarajevo, wasn't it? The assassination of the uh, Archduke of Austria in Sarajevo by...
4: But uh, his Garfield name is, print. You're giving us the body of the story, not the headline. Uh, <laughs> more than we bargained for. That's, of course, quite right, Mr. Kieran. And perhaps uh, our newsboy speaks too intelligibly. Mix it up on the next one, will you?
0: What's Wuxby! The word of the 60th home in America.
4: <laughs> I hope everybody got that. Uh, Mr. Adams? That might be, have to do with the riffs. With the what?
5: The riff. I'm in Morocco.
4: Do <laughs> Sounds like Morocco to me.
0: Sounds like Morocco to you? Morocco. Morocco? Yes.
4: Somehow I still hear you saying Morocco.
5: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: Mr. Curie. I
5: think that would be cried along in September 1927. Would that be about right? Uh, What's Babe happened? Ruth hit his 60th home run? Yes.
4: In Morocco, Mr. Adler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. <laughs> No, Sounds it's like general...
5: Morocco to me still. <laughs>
4: <laughs> to me. Uh, despite Mr. Kieran's perfect score on that, I'll have to count the uh, staff as a whole wrong on account of Mr. Adams' Moroccan complex. Let's have <laughs> the, the next one.
0: <laughs> what Wednesday. I don't know if my lands of Dublin doesn't have the wrong way.
4: Get it? Very easy. You want me? Do you want to retrieve yourself, Mr. Adams? Yes, sir. Morocco. That is Mr. Corrigan. Yes. yes. Landing in Fez,
3: I suppose. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Morocco bomb. <laughs> uh, landing the wrong way in Dublin. Well, that gives us only two out of three, sending twenty-five dollars to Mr. Jowett plus a set of the encyclopedia, courtesy to of me. Lucky Strike. To me. That was owing entirely to you, Mr. Adams. Now, so far, Lucky Strike has paid out twenty-five dollars, and that means one set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And now Mr. Cross points out that North Carolina, not Hollywood, holds this
3: week's record for premier performances. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, on Tuesday of this week, the opening of the 1941 tobacco auctions was celebrated at nine different North Carolina tobacco markets. And what happened down there will interest every smoker. On opening day, at every one of those tobacco markets, Lucky Strike paid well above the average market price to get the finer, the lighter, the naturally milder tobaccos, the kind that gives you a milder, better-tasting cigarette. Typical of these markets is Henderson, North Carolina, where on opening day, the American Tobacco Company paid 20% more per pound for the tobacco it bought for its cigarettes and other tobacco products. Yes, 20% above the average market price paid for all the various types and grades of tobacco sold there. And the best we bought goes into Lucky's. Smokers, in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. And Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So make the next package you buy, Lucky Strike. Brief and to the point as usual, Mr. Cross, just 57 seconds. Now, how about this one,
4: Miss Leach and gentlemen, from Francis Williams Brown of Philadelphia. Who swore in each of these presidents for his first term? Who swore them in? The, the first case is that of Abram Lincoln. Who swore in, Mr. Lincoln, Miss Leach?
6: Chief Justice Taney.
4: Chief Justice Taney, yes. First uh, name? ends begins with R. Yes, uh, it ends with R, too, Mr. Adams. Roger. That's right. How's that? Isn't that intelligent? Uh, that's quite right, uh, Miss Leach. And how about uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt? First term, remember? Who swore Mr. Roosevelt in? Mr. Bromfield.
0: Chief Justice Hughes.
4: Chief Justice uh, Charles Evans Hughes. That's quite right. And who swore in Mr. Calvin Coolidge for his first term? Mr. Kieran. His father. Ah, that's the catch question. <laughs> uh, that's quite right, Mr. Kieran. Uh, Mr. Coolidge's father... Who was up uh, he was, I believe
5: he's a local justice of the peace, wasn't he? Or some local in official.
4: VT. Yes, that's quite right. Uh, Mr. F- John C. Coolidge uh, swore in his own son in a very dramatic ceremony that many of us will remember. Now, off the record, this isn't part of the question. Who could have sworn in the first president of the United States? Uh, was there a chief justice then to swear in the president who swore in uh, George Washington, Mr. Bromton? Well, there
5: was. It must have been Chief Justice Marshall.
4: Well, I think that uh, there wasn't at the time. I don't think no. Chief Justice Marshall was uh, at the working away at the job at that time. No, it was Chancellor uh, Livingston of right. New York State. And I suppose he was, must have been sworn in. Would he not have been sworn in then right here in New York at the time? I
5: think he was. He came he to was. New York by coach for the ceremony.
4: Uh, yes, I, I, I think that was the case. Well, that gives us three out of three. <clears throat> now how about this one from Gretchen Newkirk of Fort Worth, Texas? I think we ought to get all on. on this. Well, who uh, were the following people they' are all mentioned in poetry who was a child of scorn a child of scorn uh, there's a look of recognition mr. Bromfield on your face no it was despair Isn't that? Uh, a child of scorn is it's from a poem by Edwin Arlington Robinson called Min of Chivy. Chivy. remember it now mr. No. Adams can you give us the verse in which Miniver
0: you... of child
4: of scorn that's right. <laughs> <laughs> grew lean while he assailed the seasons. He wept that he was ever born, and he had reasons. That's the way it goes. That did us one wrong. How about a poor benighted Ethan? Uh, who in poetry was that? Mr.
0: Adams. That is uh, one of Mr. Kieran's favorite authors, <laughs> Joseph R. Kipling.
4: Uh, you say Joseph? Was it? Was that his, uh, that
5: re- was his first, first name. name?
0: Rudyard was his middle name.
4: Oh. <laughs> You do know the darndest things, Mr. Adams. And who exactly was uh, this poor benighted Ethan? Mr. Kieran, will you give us a little no, information? Russian
5: leather uh, leathered dean. Uh,
4: no, I don't think so. I think you've got the wrong... Oh, phone. no, Fuzzy Wuzzy. Yeah. That's right. That's That's right. right. Fuzzy Wuzzy. Uh, yeah. On
0: well, a spree. He, yes. At his home a... in the Sudan.
4: That's right. Uh, that places him. You're a poor benighted Ethan, but a first-class fighting man and so forth. Uh, how about a Brother to the Ox? Who was that? Uh, Mr. Kieran. The man with the hoe. The
5: man by Edwin the Markham.
4: Yes. Remember the lines in which a brother to the ox Who appears? loosened
5: and let down that brutal jaw. Yes. And all the rest of
4: it. Stolid and stunned a brother to the ox who loosened and let down this brutal jaw. Uh, I think you got one wrong on that, gentlemen. And Miss Leach, that sends $25 to Miss Newkirk and a set of the Encyclopedia Britannica with the thanks of Lucky Strike. Now, how about this one from Margaret E. Santee of Cedar Falls, Iowa. I think we ought to get all on this, too. Now, suppose your forebears had settled in each of these villages, the names of which I shall give you, where you had remained uh, in these villages. Uh, Where would you now live? In the first case, uh, suppose your ancestors had settled at Yerba Buena. Where would you now be living if you hadn't moved? Yerba Buena. Uh, Miss Leach? How do you spell it?
6: I think it's San Francisco.
4: Uh, don't go any further. That's quite right. Do you want to spell it for Mr. Adams? No. Don't care. She All right. Yes, now called San Francisco. Now, if they had settled at Fort Duquesne, uh, Mr. Bromfield, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yes. And suppose they had settled at another fort, Fort Orange. You would now live where, Mr. Kieran? In Albany. In Albany, yes, quite right. That apparently was too easy for you. How about this one? From Grover Smith of Atlanta. This is all about villains. Famous villains of literature. What was the fate of each of them? Let's get three out of four on this. Uriah Heep. What happened to him? Maybe we ought to clear up uh, the identity of Mr. Heep. Who is Uriah Heep, Mr. Carey? Well,
5: Uriah Heep was the Wrigley villain in David Copperfield, who was finally uh, caught and exposed by Micawber. That's And
4: uh, right. what happened to him finally? He got his comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> he got his comeuppance, as Mister Adams reminds us. And the comeuppance—I think they let him. him off. Oh no, no, they didn't. No. Well, I mean, they got the money all uh, all away from him. Uh, but they didn't let him off. Dickens usually let off most of his people, but in this case. Uh, I think He
5: went to jail. He
4: did indeed, Mister Adams. He yeah. went to jail under a life sentence, as a matter of fact, for both forgery and theft. I don't know. Whether we ought putting... to count that right or wrong. Well, no, that, that was wrong. I think we ought to count that wrong. Thank you, Mister. How about uh, Iago? Iago, what happened to him? Mr. Curran, do you want to uh, yes. take that one? All right. Uh, he died. <laughs> he died the death of a villain. <laughs> he died? Uh, what uh, Under what circumstances did he die? By the way, who was Iago, Mr. Curran? Well, he was the villain in Othello, yes. the, more of Venice. Uh, yes. And, and what uh, was the form of his death? Remember that? You say he died, was it uh, as a result of an accident, or...? No, he died in a sword fray. Uh, no, I don't think so. Unless I'm wrong. Well, then he took poison. No, <laughs> he was led away to torture and presumably to death, uh, to be executed by the authority of the state. Wrong again. Well, uh, I may be wrong uh, here, Mr. Kear, I've been wrong much more often than you have. But uh, that's what the uh, information that I'm supplied with says. I have to lean on that. How about Mr. Hyde of the well-known firm of Jekyll and Hyde? What happened to him? Did he come to a happy end? Uh, any ideas? Well, we've lost the $25 anyway. You can guess wildly if you wish. <laughs> I have the faintest uh, idea. Uh, have any idea at all, Mr. You might like have to been know? cured. Pardon? He might have been cured. Maybe in the movie. I don't think so. <laughs> I didn't see the movie. Uh, commit suicide. I don't know what happened, to Jekyll, but Mr. Hyde commits suicide. <laughs> and finally, uh, Gessler. Uh, Mr. Kieran. Gessler, I, I think, was shot. Yes. With an arrow? Uh, yes. By whom? By W. Tell. W- yes, by W. Tell. <laughs> yes, uh, Gessler was shot from ambush by William Tell. Mm. Well, that sends $25 to Mr. <laughs> Grover Smith and a set of the Encyclopedia Britannica, courtesy of Lucky Strike. How about this one? From E.J. Donegan of this city. Can you give me, oh, let's say, four people, real people or people that you find in fiction, whose last names describe any kind of weather? his last names would give you a uh, Mr. Adams Claude Rains Claude Rains would be a very good one Claude Rains (laughs) the motion picture actor and uh, stage actor how about another any kind of weather Uh, Mr. Bromfield
5: Mary Tempest
4: Mary Tempest very good yes that gives us Rain and Tempest Uh, think of any others well how about Edward uh, Carmel Snow Carmel Snow yes the editor very good uh, think of any others? Edward Everett Hale, the author of *The Man Without a Country*, would be one. Uh, think of any? So we have to get one more. I think. Uh, Mr. Adams, was that your hand up? No, just a nervous. No, just thing. thinking. Uh, <laughs> the um, chief character, Mr. Kieran, in Jules Verne's uh, *Round the World in Eighty Days*. Phineas Fogg. Phineas Fogg. Yes. I think I supplied that. I Mr. think you uh, helped me quite a little. <laughs> <laughs> we do work together. I have to get one legitimate one from you. How about... Uh, oh, there's a, a novelist uh, died a few years ago, comes from your part of the country, Mr. Brownfield. A woman novelist, very good one, named uh, Zona... Gale. Gale, yes. <laughs> oh, Gale, that'll in help his part that. of
0: the country. Well,
4: it's the Middle West. Oh, oh, we, oh, Wisconsin, oh She was, she was Wisconsin. from Wisconsin. Well, isn't uh, Wisconsin more or less part of the Middle West? Not uh, my part. According, not his part. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be so provincial. <laughs> He's a the West guy. is a large, large <laughs> place. I've only got three so far.
6: Well, Mr. Fair was a famous miner, but I can't remember his first name. Mr. Who? Fair, Fair
4: of Colorado.
6: We're called the Colorado San Mines. San Francisco,
4: Are you all working together and helping us <laughs> leave? <laughs> I'll accept Mr. Fair, and uh, that gets us by. To bad. Meriwether Lewis. <laughs> uh, they, see, that's a very good one, except it's his first name. Of Lewis and Clark. Yes, of Lewis and uh, Lewis and, <laughs> Lewis and Conger. Yeah. How about Reginald McAvery's question? This comes from Toronto, Canada. It's about memorable meetings between famous people. Yet two out of three. Uh, what meeting occurred on a narrow road between Thebes and Delphi? Uh, Mr. Bromfield. Oedipus and the Sphinx, wasn't it? I don't think it was Oedipus and the Sphinx. No, uh, you half of the half of that's right.
5: Well, then it was Oedipus and his mother.
4: Uh, no, that's uh, the wrong, Guess too. Again. Now, you've got the Sphinx, the mother, you've got practically the whole family. Mr. Kieran? I think he probably met his father, then. That. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Did
5: you get there, Ben. Uh, <laughs> no,
4: yes, he
5: killed his father. He didn't know who he was. That's right,
4: yes, that's, isn't that the point of the whole Oedipus story? That Oedipus and. What was his Sphinx told name? him that. that that's why I got mixed up. That's right. Well, you had uh, the whole story in mind. You just got the wrong road, Mr. Brownfield. <laughs> Seems to me I have to count that wrong, though. I think so. Technically. Now, let's get the next uh, two right. Uh, what meeting occurred on a raft in a river? A famous meeting, Mr. Kieran. That was a uh, treaty in one of the Na- uh, Napoleonic
5: campaigns, I believe. That's quite right. And Beresina, who? was it? Uh, who were the two characters
4: involved? Well, Napoleon was one, That's and right. the Tsar of Russia. Yes. They met on a raft on the river Neiman at Nieman. Right. uh Tsar Alexander I. Now, what memorable meeting occurred at a public place in Freeport, Illinois? In Freeport... Illinois? Uh, Mr. Adams?
0: I should think probably that was, uh, Lincoln and Douglas. Yes, Lincoln and Douglas
4: would be quite right. Uh, they debated at Freeport, Illinois. Well, that gives us two out of three. How about this one from Mrs. R. L. Eisenberg of Brooklyn, New York? Now, this, uh, is a four-part question. Get three if you can. In what works of literature or the movies do these business exchanges take place? In the first case, uh, Someone pays about sixty dollars for a typewriter. Where, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Leach.
6: The twelve-pound look by in the, James Barry. That's
4: right. The twelve-pound look. Uh, in another case, uh, seventy-five dollars is paid for a second-hand truck. Uh, Mr. Bromfield. Is it the Joad family? Yes, the Joad family. in what novel? Ah. The G of W. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> G, not G T W, but the Grapes of the Grapes of Wrath. Yes, that's right. The Grapes of Wrath by Mr. Steinbeck. Uh, And uh, where do you find a bride being paid for at the rate of $10 a pound? $10 a pound for a bride. Uh, Mr. Adams? The opening chapter of the Mayor of Casterbridge. Well, now, there is a a sale of a wife in uh, in the Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy, but he wouldn't be paying $10 a pound or selling her for $10 a pound because they didn't have that kind of coinage in Great Britain where the story takes place.
0: Maybe it was 10 pounds, I'm
4: thinking. (laughs) Uh, Well, now, it's possible. 10 pounds? No, uh, you find it in The Bride Came C.O.D., a movie in which uh, Miss Davis and James Cagney appear. Uh, Mr. Cagney, I believe, pays $10 a pound for uh, Miss Davis, which is very low quotation. Uh, Where has one wrong... Where would you find... $4 $4 being paid for two complimentary tickets to Of the I Sing. Well, it's in What Makes Sammy Run, a novel of now selling very well. That sends $25 to Mr. Eisenberg, plus a set of the encyclopedia.
3: And now Mr. Cross reminds us of a rather roundabout compliment uh, paid him not so long ago. Mr. Fatterman, I was actually complimented on not being a good talker. After a recent information please broadcast, a gentleman said this to me. Mr. Cross, you never try to talk us into believing Lucky's are a better cigarette. You give us facts and figures. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I always believe in letting facts and figures speak for themselves. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. And a thousand words couldn't tell you that as effectively as these simple facts. Last season, the American Tobacco Company paid 27% more than the market average at Cambridge, Virginia. more at Mebane, North Carolina, and so on at market after market all over the South. We consistently pay the price to get the finer, the lighter, the naturally milder tobaccos, and the best we buy goes into Lucky's. No wonder that with independent experts, with men who know tobacco best, it's Lucky's 2 to 1. In a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. So next time ask for Lucky Strike. Thank you, Mr. Cross. This
4: evening Lucky Strike has cheerfully paid out one hundred dollars and four sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Thank you, Miss Leach, and thank you, Mr. Bromfield, for joining Lucky Strike's party tonight. Next week, Mr. Levant, Mr. Kieran, and Mr. Adams will be on deck. And as our special extra guest, we welcome Stephen Vincent Benet, distinguished poet and author of The Devil and Daniel Webster, shortly to be seen as a movie called All That Money Can Buy. Remember, for every question we use, whether or not it's answered correctly, the sender gets $10. And if the question stumps stump our experts, you not only get $25 more, but in addition, the complete 24-volume set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Send...
1: The Johnson Wax Program. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. The makers of Johnson's Wax present Marion and Jim as Fibber McGee and Molly. Ted Weems and his orchestra open the show with Linger a While. Probably every woman who keeps house has a desire at this time of the year to brighten up her home for fall. Now, whether you live in a comfortable old-fashioned house or an ultra-modern home, you can give all your rooms new life and beauty by waxing your floors, furniture, and woodwork with Johnson's Wax. Wall paneling, windowsills, radiator covers, refrigerators need the protection of genuine Johnson's Wax if you want to keep them clean and attractive through the winter. Johnson's Wax gives a beautiful, protective polish to modern furniture or valuable antiques. Actually sheds dirt and keeps off finger smudges and stains. It will cost you only a few cents to beautify your floors, furniture, and woodwork with genuine Johnson's Wax. Well, Fibber and Molly have decided upon an evening of relaxation. Tonight, Molly wanted to go somewhere and dance, and Fibber wanted to go to a movie. So, they're going somewhere to dance. (laughs) And here, just about to enter the beautiful, wistful vista public ballroom, the Calais de Hoof, we find (laughs) Fibber, McGee, and Molly.
7: Whose orchestra's playing here tonight, McGee?
8: According to the posters, it's Ted Weems and his swing band. Whatever that is. (laughs) What is swing music, Molly?
7: Search me, McGee. (laughs) It's like inflation. Everybody talks about it, but nobody can explain
8: it. You sure hear plenty of it on the radio. And say, what do you think about Major Bull's amateurs switching from coffee to cars?
7: Well, what's the difference? Making coffee or driving cars, you still got to use the old bean. (laughs) Is that percolate? Yeah,
8: but... It's safer to have an amateur make your coffees and drive your car.
7: Oh, well, I suppose it depends on where you prefer to spoon. Uh, (laughs) Buy the tickets, please.
8: Okay, maybe the fellow in the box office can tell us what swing... Hey, hey, look where you're going, shrimp. Look where you're going yourself, and who are you calling a shrimp? You. You want to make something of it? Why, uh, 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 (laughs) um... What can you make of a shrimp? <laughs> and after this, watch yourself,
7: punk. Mm, heavenly days, Lee. For a minute, I thought that big bruiser was going to stop you.
8: <laughs> trouble with that mug is he's got an inferiority complex.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's buying a ticket to the dance, too.
8: Now, it's a free country, Molly. Well, sometimes I wonder why. Hi, Bud. Hi, Bud.
9: Hey, you in the box office there. Oh, yes, yes. Very good evening to you, my little ankle worms. Yes. Now, <laughs> uh, welcome to the Palais de Hommes, the favorite dancing place of the stars, even May West. Yes, yes, May West. Two hips and a hooray. <laughs> Is this a nice, respectable place? Yes, madam, very respectable. The Palais de Hommes allows no disturbance or out you go, yes, yes. Every ball must have its bouncer, you know. (laughs) That may be,
8: bud, but I hear they wouldn't allow the Wistful Vista Barber College to have its graduation dance here.
7: Why not?
9: Too much cutting in. (laughs) Drop me if you've heard it. (laughs) How much, bud? Dollar a couple, my little rumba bums. Very cheap at the prize. very cheap. Entertaining, helpful, and instructive. Keeps your fit. If you already have a fit, you can keep that one, too. <laughs> yeah, it's only a dollar a couple. dollar? Ain't that a little cheap bud? A dollar a
8: McGee,
7: huh? don't be like that. Pretend we're not married and loosen okay. up. <laughs>
8: Here you are, bud.
9: One time only. Thank you, thank you. Go right in.
7: Oh, wait a minute, McGee. Huh? Mr. Box Office Man, can you please tell us what they mean by swing music...
9: Swing music? Ah, oh, yes, swing music. So I'm a good woman, but I'm a stranger in town myself. Well, come on,
7: McGee.
8: I met that fellow somewhere before, Molly. I think it was when they give the poultry raisers dance here. Well, how was it? It was a pretty foul ball.
7: <laughs> <laughs> mm. Say, this is kind of a
8: nice place, ain't it, Molly? Check yes. your hat and coat, please. Check your hat and coat. I
7: think I'll keep my wrap on for a while,
10: maybe.
8: Okay. Never mind, sis. You don't have to take the wrap on this one.
7: <laughs>
8: how much to check a hat?
7: Nothing, sir. Good. And only a dime to get it out again. Oh,
11: I see.
8: One of them dime cover charge joints, huh? Hey, sis, could you tell us just what is this here swing music?
7: Well, a Webster says swing is power exerted through something swinging. Who's Webster? Well, I don't know. never heard of him. Why, shucks,
8: you just quoted him.
7: <laughs> oh, that was just an old quote that was checked here last week. Check <laughs> uh, your quotes and hats, please. Check
8: if a brainstorm amounts to anything, she's got something there. <laughs> my
7: my, what dim lights, Maggie! They
8: always dim the lights in dance places, Molly. That way you can't see if the guy bumping into you is big or little. <laughs> Keeps fighting down to a minimum.
11: <clears throat> Besides,
8: it's more romantic. Yes,
7: it would take a couple of pretty dim bulbs to start a romance in here.
8: <laughs> oh, you know, Marley, I can hardly wait to teach you my new Spanish dance.
7: Go on. <laughs> You taught me a Spanish dance once before and I had to eat off the mantilla for a week.
8: (laughs) Oh, this is a real Spanish dance, Molly patterned after Spanish politics. First you swing to the right, then to the left, then you start a revolution.
7: Oh, well, you better write it
9: down.
7: <laughs> It'll be dictated, but not read. <laughs> oh, I beg
9: your pardon? I lass. Think nothing of it. It was me on fault. Well, don't be so clumsy, Scotty. Very sorry, lad, but you see, my brother is a very poor dancer. Mm. What's that got to do with you? I'm wearing his shoes. <laughs> well, listen, Scotty, you seem to be kind of familiar with this place. Can you tell us what swing music is? No, that I cannot. There is only one swing tune I'm the least bit familiar with. One swing tune, or
7: what is it?
9: They're hanging Danny Deaver in the morning. Come on. Let's sit down and rest up for
7: our first dance. Oh, that's a husband for me.
9: Now,
7: what are you looking
8: for? I want to get me a cigar. wonder if there's a cigar counter over by that soda fountain. No, but
7: there's a cigarette girl over there.
8: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Kind of cute, ain't she? Uh, hey, sis, uh, bring your cigars over here.
7: Okay, sonny. Cigars, cigar reds, souvenirs. Well,
8: for the lo- Hey, Grandma, ain't you kind of old to be peddling cigars around here? <laughs> wearing them silk pants, too.
7: Oh, I don't know, Skippy. The trousers seem to go with the cigars. Huh? It's just a matter of puffs and pants. <laughs> you like it here, Grandma? Well, Shorty, I do and I don't. It reminds me of when I was a dancer myself on the stage. Oh. I was engaged to an Apache dancer.
8: Apache dancer? What happened?
7: He threw me down. Cigar, <laughs> cigarette,
8: souvenir. Hey, wait a minute, Grandma.
7: Yes, would you mind answering a question?
8: What is this swing music?
7: Well, Sonny, I don't know as I can define it. But I used to dance the tango to it enough. That's when I was billed as Noreen, the queen of the tango.
8: Hmm. Noreen, the queen of the tango.
7: Yes. But the way vaudeville is nowadays, I guess it's tango narine no more. Tango? Naree.
0: The star fell out of heaven. I didn't tomorrow. The fell out of heaven driving right through my
10: dreams
0: And since that very moment Life is so divine I've never heard a star speak before This one said, will you be mine? Then roses fell from heaven To be your bouquet. And we rain down from heaven to christen the day. The miracle had happened, as they sometimes do. A star fell out of heaven and turned out to be you.
1: have survived one dance, although if you'll sneak up a little closer, you'll detect a slight argument on the subject of technique.
7: And another thing, McGee, when you bump into people, you're supposed to tell them you're sorry.
8: <laughs> I tried that one night, Molly, and my gal said I was talking too much.
7: <laughs> and, and
8: besides, well, Bud, what do you want? Tap down, you. How's about the next dress, little oh, gorgeous?
7: Oh, thank you. I'm with me, husband.
8: Oh, uh, yeah? Well, where is he? I'll pick it up. I'm her husband, bud, and she ain't dancing with you. Say, ain't you the little guy that bumped me in the lobby? Well, keep your lobby out of my way after this.
11: That
8: <laughs> telling ain't it, fat lady? Oh, uh, yeah? Well, listen, you bangy. Don't give me none of your lip. Come on, sweetheart. How's about the next dance, huh? No. <laughs> Dad read it How many times You gotta be told Now beat it This is a respectable place All right All right I was asking for Polite wasn't I I'm
7: having all me dances with me husband I'm sorry
8: I should think You would be
11: <laughs>
8: And you You worm After this You keep out of my way See or You're liable To get stepped on hmm. What else could I expect From the heel <laughs> What was the last crack Go on Scrammer I'll call the bouncer Well that'll be just swell. He's my little brother I'll
7: see you outside, punk. If you keep ribbing him, you're liable to get biffed.
1: Well, what would you do? I'd use Johnson's Glow Coat, the no ribbing, no biffing floor (laughs) polish. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hello, folks. Enjoying yourselves?
8: Oh, yeah. We were. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Harpo, you see that big lug over there with the flat nose? Who is
1: he? Oh, him? Why, that's Cauliflower Cooney, the prize fighter.
7: Cauliflower Cooney. Hmm. Looks like you bought a pug in a poke with <laughs> uh, me.
8: You, you look tired, Molly. You, you want to go home?
7: I go home? After one dance? Why, don't be silly. That is, unless you're afraid of that big lugan. Who, me? Afraid of that palooka?
8: <laughs> go on. Oh, say, I forgot to ask Carpo what swing music was.
7: Well, you can ask Ted Weems when you get a chance. They say he's an authority on it.
8: I'll be glad to get it settled. I ever tell you about the time I had me my dance act in vaudeville, Molly?
7: With Noreen, the tango queen?
8: No. I was with the four flying fools.
7: Making five altogether.
8: Yeah. No. <laughs> I used to be quite a hooker. Featherfoot McGee, they called me in them
11: days.
8: Oh, my. Featherfoot McGee, the fascinating fandango flinger, foot like favorite of folks from Frisco to Florida and fancy flip <laughs> floppers, the four flying fools. <laughs> Hi,
7: Miss McGee. Hi, Miss McGee. Well, heavenly day, Silly Watson. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You working right, here now, good. Silly? Yes, ma'am.
8: I'm the attendant in the men's washroom. Oh.
7: <laughs> you mean the attendant?
8: Yes, ma'am. Hey, say, Sil, you know anything about music? Yes, sir, sure do. I play the guitar, please, sir. I practice this here when I ain't too busy. Well, why don't
7: you practice
8: home? I can't, ma'am. Mammy don't allow no guitar playing around there. <laughs> well, listen, Phil, the reason we asked is, we've been wondering what swing music was. Yeah. Swing music? Uh-huh. Well, Mr. McGee, swing music is a real kind of razzmatazz hot jar stuff with some vodeo boom and a swiddle.
11: <laughs> <laughs> Only she don't
8: act so corny as with that little old-fashioned... He not got that. <laughs> That's sweet stuff. That wasn't his.
9: Thank
7: you very much, Sylvia. Yeah, much
8: obliged, Phil. You all gonna stay here very long, sir? Uh,
7: why, Sylvia?
8: Well, ma'am, looks like they're gonna be a ruffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, this here Cauliflower cooney, he doesn't get awful mad about stuff He seem as if he say he's gonna ruin somebody. I want to be here to see that. He's a powerful man, Miss Cooney. you me now, Peter. I'll go
11: see you somewhere.
8: <laughs> <laughs> Let's go someplace else, Molly, will you?
7: Why, I like this place. The floor is wonderful and the music is lovely. Oh, sure. Oh, there's Ted Williams. Oh. My, don't the boys look nice.
9: Listen, Molly, he's telling the band something. Well, listen, boys. This tough guy Cauliflower Cooney starts a riot, just keep on playing. And drummer, Yeah. protect that bass drum. Don't let him throw anybody through it like he did last time. Oh. 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 Hello, Molly. Hello, Tibber.
7: Hello, Teddy
9: Dear. you, uh you expecting trouble, Ted? Yes, a little. It seems that Cauliflower Cooney is going to beat somebody up. Can you imagine that?
7: I'm afraid so. Listen, Ted. I know you're ready to play your next dance, but there's something we'd like to ask you.
8: Oh, yeah, Ted, but we want to find out once and for all just
9: what is this swing music. Oh, it's very simple. Oh. Swing music is a form of syncopation in which the offbeat characterizes a certain consistency of tempo. Oh. It's a variation of jazz which, by its adherence to a rhythmic quality or temporal impulse almost indistinguishable to the untrained ear from a metronomic precision, as distinguished from individualistic interpretation.
11: Oh. Here, listen to this. <laughs>
9: Oh baby, I don't want you to croon, soft and mellow. Let me warn you in advance, sing me a swing song, let me dance. Oh baby, I don't want any moon, bright and yellow.
0: You can have your sweet romance, oh, sing me a swing song, let me dance. Mr. Trumbull, play some corn, I ain't caring what no. <laughs> Mr.
9: Trumpet, grab a horn. Brother, give me how long. Oh, baby,
12: I don't want any on a cello. Give the rest of man
11: a ten. Just take me, swing, song. Let me dance. <laughs>
1: question many women have asked us, quote, when floors are polished with Johnson's wax, can worn spots around doorways be touched up without re-waxing the entire floor? Unquote. The answer is emphatically yes. You can touch up any worn spots on your floors and linoleum with Johnson's wax, and the polish will blend in perfectly with the rest of the wax surface. Johnson's wax does not give a brittle finish. It never can chip off, as other types of finishes do. It gives a resilient polish, becoming almost a part of the wood itself, sealing the pores and cracks against dust and dirt, shielding the floor from wear with a tough, invisible film of wax protection. You'll save yourself a great deal of cleaning work over a period of time, and your floors and linoleum will always look beautiful if you protect them with genuine Johnson's wax. Look for the attractive yellow can. And remember, you save money by ordering the larger sizes. Now, back in a quiet corner of the Wistful Vista Palais de Hoof ballroom, we find Molly listening to a somewhat nervous fibber. Come on, Molly. Let's go home. What say we stop at Louis' hamburger wagon and get us a couple of. No!
9: Oh,
8: (laughs) well.
7: I'm having too good a time right here. I don't know why we don't come here often. No. I certainly am getting a bang out of this.
8: <laughs> Me too, I wouldn't be surprised.
7: Oh, look, Wiggy, there's Mort too. You-hoo, Mr. Toops. hi' Mort. Here we are, Mr. Toops over here. I never expected to see you here.
8: <laughs> I guess that's right. <laughs> you never know who you'll see when he ain't got your gun. <laughs> Just met a feller at the soda fountain over there. And
12: <laughs> <laughs> Did I pull a fat one? <laughs> Hot dog.
8: <laughs> Listen, Mort, he says to me.
12: <laughs> Get a load of this now. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Mort, he says.
8: <laughs> Who are you voting for in November?
12: <laughs> and I whipped right back with <laughs> <laughs> Is this a hot one?
9: (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. (laughs) Who am
12: I voting for, I said? (laughs) Well, I
11: said,
12: (laughs) I'm voting for the... Oh, this is real. (laughs) I'm voting for the...
11: (laughs) I'll
10: have to tell you later.
7: With that donkey laugh of his, it'll make him vote Democratic.
11: (laughs) Chuck,
8: he'll laugh so hard at his own jokes, he's liable to split his ticket.
7: (laughs) Hey, Molly. What?
8: Have you seen anything of, uh, well, uh, You mean,
7: uh, Cauliflower Cooney? Yeah. No, he's not here that I can see. Good.
8: probably seen my footwork out there on the dance floor and sneaked away. Oh, say, here comes the proprietor
9: of the ballroom, Molly. Hey there, Mr. Houlihan.
7: Houlihan? My, what a fine old name.
9: Ah, good evening to you, McGee. Glad to see you stepping out and all. Now, I don't believe you ever met up with my wife, Mike. Molly, this is Mike Houlihan, the boss of the joint.
7: How do you do, I'm sure.
9: Good evening to you, Mrs. McGee. Sure, it is a fine thing to see a beautiful woman like yourself now. Oh, with the roses of Galway in your cheeks and the blue of Killarney in your eyes. Oh. Before you get to the gold of Charlie in her hair, let me ask you a question. Oh, <laughs> oh
7: McGee, let him go on
9: with the Blarney. Sure, is no Blarney at all, at all, McCutler. Hey, hey, hey. Well, hold it a minute, Mike. Listen, do you know Cauliflower Cooney? I do, that. And a fine brass of a boy he is, too. There is no lad in the world that could swing a pick like his father. Well,
7: he's been making threats against me husband, Mr.
9: Houlihan. Yeah, just because I wouldn't let him dance with my wife, he... Ha! Making threats, is he? Yeah. <laughs> he would, that. He's always fighting for a fight, is the Cooney. Mm-hmm. There is only one way to handle a lad the likes of him. How? Ah. Sure, and how else but a good swift kick in the teeth to the big baboon. This is the only cure for his playfulness. Playfulness? Oh, McGee
7: wouldn't want to start a fight in your nice ballroom, Mr. Hmm. Houlihan.
9: I'll say so. Fight is it? There'll be no fighting in me palais de ho. Not if I have to beat the ears off of everybody in the place.
7: <laughs> That's fine. And one thing more, Mr. Woolhan.
9: Sure, my morning. and what would that be now? We wanted to ask you, you being the
8: proprietor of a ballroom, and you should ought to know...
7: What is swing music?
8: Swing music, is it?
9: Sure, it is just this morning I was asking myself the same. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll be asking the weems. Now, there's a lad
7: who wasn't over there. Now, we're getting
8: somewhere, maybe. Old well, Hulahan probably thinks swing music is played with a mandolin because you use a pick on it. <laughs> I hope the next dance is waltz, walk. No, we ain't had a walk yet. That is, <laughs> too tired. You tired, Molly? You want to go home? We no, stop I don't want to go home.
7: For heaven's sake, stop
8: asking me that. I want to dance. Okay. I like to dance yourself. Cut back into my vaudeville days on the two-a-day.
7: Two-a-day. Yeah. Performances or meals. And we
8: used to have a dance act, two boys and a gal, and
1: myself. We done everything from the buck and wings to the can-can. And by buying Johnson's wax in the large size can-can, you save up to one third. <laughs> Come on, Molly,
8: let's go home. What say we get us a soft drink and a sandwich for this next day? Huh?
7: All right, McGee. Now, what are you looking for?
8: Well, uh, I was looking to see if there was a couple of vacant stools at the counter. Why,
7: they're all vacant, for two, isn't it? Oh. What's the matter with your
8: eyes? <laughs> Nothing, so far. <laughs> uh, two ham sandwiches and a couple of orange eggs, sir.
7: Okay.
8: I hope old Hulahan gets the cauliflower soon. As oh,
7: you... McGee, behind you. <laughs> yeah, oh, there you are. <laughs> I've
8: been looking for you, shrimp. <laughs> You know what I'm going to do to you? <laughs>
7: oh,
8: I, uh, I heard rumors about it.
7: <laughs> now, listen, you leave me husband alone, you big bruiser. Listen, quiet,
8: my. Quiet. I'll, I'll handle it. <laughs> You're well, will you?
7: You know who I am?
8: I'm Cauliflower Coley, That who I am, see? Hey, oh, ours, yeah. guys. Hey, what's the idea? You you quit that. But
7: he don't let him get away with that.
8: Uh, that was just a sample, see? Wait in a minute, Cauliflower. Hold hey, wait it. Hey, waitress. Yeah? You got any spinach?
7: Have I got any
8: time? You heard me finish
7: That's
2: what
10: I thought you said. Here. Fine. Hey, what the... What are you doing,
7: punk? Seventy days, a whole can
10: of spinach. What's the idea? McGee?
8: I am what I am, and that's all I am, see? If Papa can do it, I can do it.
7: I'll show you. Oh, what
8: a <laughs> What hit you? What's that sweet music, brother? That's swing music.
1: see a lot of cars parked along the street, you can't help but size up the different owners by the appearance of their cars. People, in turn, size you up the same way. So it certainly pays to keep your car looking its best all the time. There really is no excuse for driving a dirty, stained car when it's so easy to take off all the old road film and discoloration with Johnson's Auto Cleaner and Polish. In no time at all, you can have your car shining like new again, no matter how hopeless it seems to you now. Johnson's Auto Cleaner is a liquid and works on an entirely new principle. It dries quickly to a white powder. Wipe off the powder, and along comes all the film and dirt without the slightest injury to the finish. Now, please pay close attention. If you go to your dealer without delay, auto supply store, service station, or regular wax dealer, and buy a pint can of Johnson's Auto Cleaner and Polish at a special price of only 59 cents, you will receive a full-size can of Johnson's Protective Auto Wax free. Don't fail to get your free can of Johnson's Auto Wax so you can protect the finish of your car and keep it looking like new.
7: I certainly was proud when you faced with that big Lugan.
8: <laughs> it's all on account of keeping and train Molly. Dancing is what does it. Gives you a spring in your feet.
7: <laughs> Gives me a fall in the arches. <laughs>
8: <laughs> you know, you know, I'd like to dance in pictures, like Fred Astaire.
7: Oh, I don't know, McGee. That's pretty intricate stuff he does.
8: Intricate? He's got snap dancing, Ginger. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: inviting you to be with us one week from tonight. This is the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company.
10: Mrs. Sweeney! Oh, Mrs.
11: Sweeney! Open the window! What is it, Mrs. Lodge? Hang on to your knuckles! Her boys are cracking them tonight!
12: From Hollywood, before a small, select audience
13: of friends, relatives, and ushers, the Columbia Broadcasting System presents the Sweeney and March Show with a sensational singing group, The Starlighters, Ed Max, Doris Singleton, June Foray, Urban Lee,
12: George Feniman, Wilbur Hatch and his orchestra, and me, Bob Lamont. And here are the stars of our show, The Young Comedy Ballast, Bob Sweeney and Hal March. <laughs>
9: Thank you, thank you,
13: and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Hal March, and this shy gentleman at my side is Bob Sweeney. Shy a good deal of hair, too. <laughs> <laughs> Say something, please, Bob. Oh, good night,
2: ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. No, oh, please... no, no, Bob.
13: <laughs> Bob, Bob, that's wrong. I'm trying very hard to make a good radio comedian out of you. You've got to get over being so shy and backward. Come out with confidence and a big laugh like this. <laughs> good evening ladies and gentlemen. Now try that bum. <laughs> How are you getting it?
11: (laughs) That's better.
12: Now, say something. (laughs) I
2: can't. I'm laughing too hard. (laughs) Bob,
13: just pretend. There's nothing really funny. On this show, we just talk about kinds of people everybody has known. Like deep-sea divers or marathon runners or forest rangers. People you meet every day on the street. (laughs) What are we going to do tonight, Bob? Well, uh... Uh, I'm
2: I'm still worried, Hal I'm all mixed up and worried
13: Bob, you've got to get a grip on yourself Just keep saying that all those people listening in Aren't really there They're not really there They're not really there All you people listening in You're not really there (laughs) Now, feel better? Uh Uh-uh What's the matter now? Maybe they're not really there Well, we'll just have to take a chance now the first sketch tonight is about the fire department I'm going to play the part of Captain March of the fire department
2: Oh swell Hal And can I be the guy who steers the back end of the hook and ladder Clang, clang, get out the axes Turn on the water, man the hoses and get Bob, on the... Bob, I... Bob Yes Hal,
13: I've got a hot flash for you <laughs> In this sketch, somebody's house has to be on fire
2: Oh, you don't mean how.
13: I'm afraid so Oh, I knew I'd get burned again <laughs> A little firehouse music, Mr. Hatch A few hot licks, please
12: Men of Hook and Ladder Company, number four And, and...
13: Captain March The men are assembled. Thank you, Lieutenant Maxwell. (laughs) Men of Hook and Ladder Company, number four, this is a fire company. (laughs) And we demand a certain level of performance from the crew. For example, at the Mission Street fire this morning, Jones, Butler, and Weems were seen walking through the front door without swinging an axe. But, Captain, the door was unlocked. Lieutenant Maxwell... Brackety-bracks, coax, coax, the firemen always use their axe. Brackety-bracks, coax, coax, the firemen always use their axe. (laughs) Now remember that. Privately... Yes, sir. You're new here, and at one time I thought you had a brilliant future, but I suddenly discover you're inhibited. This morning in that Georgian mansion fire, you left a perfectly gorgeous Ming Dynasty vase intact.
2: But, Captain, uh, I thought it was just a cheap flower pot.
13: So you fancy yourself an art critic. (laughs) I want this understood. When there's ever any doubt, swing! (laughs) Raggedy-bracks, coax, coax, the firemen always use their axe. Raggedy-bracks, coax, coax, the firemen always use their axe. And just one more thing. This morning we had a beautiful fire for toasting. And what happened? No marshmallows. <laughs> Lieutenant Maxwell, see to it that the man in charge of picnic supplies receives five lashes. <laughs> this Swiss company. Company! Come <laughs> in!
2: Hello? Hello? Name? Sweeney. Fire? Yes. What? House. play Yes. Smoke? Yes, thanks. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> No,
1: no, no, no. You misunderstand. Your house is on fire. It
2: is? Gee, i to better get right home. <laughs>
1: Wait a minute. If you want to report a fire, I think you'd better talk to Captain March.
2: All
13: right. Yes, Maxwell. Captain, Mr. Sweeney here would like to report a fire. Very well. Make your report, Mr. Sweeney. Oh, Captain, my house is on fire. All right, you've made your report. Now, will you please go? I'm in the middle of a gin rummy game. <laughs>
2: Gee, what's more important, your gin rummy game or my house is on fire? Good
13: heavens, man, I'm about to be blitzed at two cents a point.
2: I don't care what you're playing for. My house is on fire and I want you fellas to come and put it out.
13: Well, all right. You'll have to fill out this application.
2: Application? Do I have to fill out an application to have my house on fire?
13: Certainly. And, of course, you have your priority.
2: I haven't got time to get a priority.
13: In that case, Mr. Sweeney, I would suggest that you report to our self-service fire station on Evans Street.
2: I don't have time. I came to you with a fire, and it's your job to put it out. After all, I'm a taxpayer, and I demand you Mr. Get Sweeney,
13: t- how much do you pay a year in taxes?
2: About $18.50, I guess, with deductions.
13: And how much of it do you think goes to the fire department?
2: Oh, about $1.98, I guess.
13: You mean to say that you expect 32 men and five pieces of apparatus to go to your house for $1.98? <laughs> Bargain to... Hunter.
2: <laughs> Are you going to come and put out my fire or not?
13: Just as soon as you complete the application. Come in. Who's our head man here? I am, sir. I'm Captain March of the...
12: Shut up! <laughs>
13: sir, I think... Shut up! He was beginning to bore me. <laughs> now, suppose you let me take the initiative in this conversation. What's your name? Never mind that. Never mind my name. Nobody has to know my name. It's none of your business what my name is. My name is Georgie Spinoni.
11: <laughs>
13: and I used to operate in the east side. We're taking over this district now. Here, my two boys here come down to talk business with you. Mr. Spinoni, if it's not asking too much, would you mind telling your two boys to take their guns out of my back? All right, boys, take your guns out of his back.
11: Yes, yes Father. father. <laughs>
13: All right, now let's talk. Say, what are you using for putting out your fires? Water, of course. What kind of water? Why, water from the city fire hydrants. How many gallons you use a week? Oh, conservatively, I'd say about seven gallons. (laughs) Yeah, well, from now on, you're using nine gallons. And it's going to be bottled seltzer water. Seltzer water? Why in the world do you want us to use seltzer water? Because me and my boys like to hear it go... (laughs)
2: Captain March, what about my house?
13: What about your house?
2: Well, it's on fire, you know.
13: Oh, yes. I think we can cut a little red tape and go now, Mr. Squeamy.
2: Fine. How do I get out of here?
13: Just slide down that pole, Mr. Squeamy, like the rest of us do.
2: Okay. Here I go.
13: Well... There goes another one. I wonder where that thing goes anyway. Here now are the Starlighters, four young fellows in a cute little mist to sing one of their recent recordings. On the boardwalk in Atlantic City, Wilbur Hatch and his orchestra chaperone.
12: Goodbye, little chicks, we are leaving the sticks We are catching a train at a quarter to six And if anyone should drop around Won't you please tell them that we can be found On the boardwalk in Atlantic City We will walk in a dream On the boardwalk in Atlantic City Life will be peaches and cream There where the saltwater air out a lady's charm There on a rolling chair You roll right into your arms Cinderella, you will find your fella Someone that you waited for In romantic and Atlantic City Down on the old New Jersey Shore Atlantic City Life will be peaches and cream City down on the old New Jersey shore. Cinderella, you'll find a fella, someone that you've waited for in romantic Atlantic, Atlantic City, down on the old New Jersey.
2: Well, how? What kind of a public servant are we going to do now? Well, this time, Bob, we're going to do a public
13: servant who's just a little unusual
2: Oh, you mean like a whisperer? (laughs)
13: Don't be ridiculous, Bob We're going to do a public weighing machine a weighing machine? Well, that's right.
2: Well, how can you get a weighing machine to talk for the radio, Al? Huh? Bob, have you ever put a penny in a weighing
13: machine and received a little card with your weight and fortune on it?
2: Yeah? Who do you think writes those out? Charlie McInerney? <laughs> Who is
13: Charlie McInerney?
2: friend of mine with a pencil.
13: <laughs>
12: no, no, Bob.
13: No, not Charlie McInerney. Inside of every weighing machine is a little man. And all he does all day long is guess weights and write out fortunes.
2: Well, is he the guy we're going to do next?
13: Right, Bob. I'll be the man who fixes the machines, and you'll be the little man who writes out the fortunes.
2: But, Hal, I'm too big. I can't get inside one of those
13: machines. Yes, you can. Bob, it's all in the mind. Just keep saying to yourself, I'm tiny. I'm tiny. I'm tiny.
2: I'm tiny. I'm
13: tiny. That's tiny enough. Are you comfortable down there, Bob?
2: Yeah, except for one thing. Yeah, what's that, pal? I'm to up in your shoelaces.
13: Way music, Mr.
2: Hatch. Way. <laughs>
13: Hello, March Weighing Machine Company. March speaking.
12: Uh, Mr. March, I'd like to report an inaccuracy in one of your scales.
13: Yes, madam, what is it?
12: Well, I got in your scale at Hollywood and Vine. Yes. Now, I'm not complaining, mind you, but my fortune card said that I was lovely, devastatingly beautiful, with a gorgeous complexion and a self-like figure.
13: Oh, I would say that's very complimentary. What's your trouble, madam?
12: Well, you should see me. I'm a mess. (laughs)
13: Very well, madam. I'll check that scale right away. Hollywood and Vine. That's Sweeney's scale. More than likely been nibbling on a fermented grape and high as a kite. <laughs> I'll go down there right now and straighten him out
12: once and for all.
13: I'll get the back of that scale open and have a showdown with this little squirt. All right, Sweeney. On your feet and get your light on. I want to have a talk with you.
2: Oh, hello, Mr. March. I was just having lunch. You care to join me?
13: What are you eating there?
2: Bird seed blintzes. <laughs> no,
13: thank you. I ate. Besides, I want to discuss your work with you. Do you realize that this is the only scale in town that gives me any trouble?
2: Well, what did I do? I've been guessing the weights and writing up the fortunes just like you told me.
13: Sweeney. How long were you in training school? Six...
2: six months, sir.
13: Where's your diploma?
2: Hanging on the wall here, over my bookcase.
13: And what does the oath say on your diploma?
2: Oh, Mr. March, not again. Read it,
13: read it. The oath, the oath, read it.
2: Read it? The
11: oath.
2: (laughs) I, Robert Sweeney, promise that I will not add a pound here or take away a pound there. And I will not allow myself to go any larger than three inches.
13: What's the matter, Sweeney? You are getting too big for this job? No, sir. Sweeney, you've changed. And I don't like what I see.
2: Just a minute, Mr. March, and I'll turn the light off. That's what I mean,
12: Sweeney!
13: It's those smart answers.
2: Let me ask you something.
13: Do you recall the day you came to my office?
2: Yes, sir. I came to ask you for a job.
13: Exactly. And what experience did you have?
2: I was a foreman of a record-changing crew inside a jukebox.
12: That's right.
13: That's exactly right. And do you remember why you left that job?
2: I was fired. And why were you fired? Because I got my head caught in a hole in a record. <laughs> and I threw the whole jukebox into confusion. Butterfinger, Sweeney. Oh, I'll never live it down. It was awful. Yes.
13: And what was the outcome?
2: Toscanini ended up conducting Spike Jones. The Swallows flew back to Cucamonga and Tedos Capistrano. (laughs) And the Prisoner of Love escaped.
11: (laughs) And,
12: And with a record like that,
13: I took you in. And do you recall the lie you told me about your ability to tell fortunes?
2: Yes, sir. I said I could tell fortunes Because when I worked in the jukebox I used to go around with the gypsy (laughs) Sweeney Sometimes
13: I think I made a mistake with you
11: Get back, Mr. March! Here comes a penny
2: (laughs)
6: Oh.
2: Oh, gosh These pennies frighten me to death A guy can get hurt in here.
13: Uh Aha! I'm glad I found out in time. Found out what, Mr. March? Not only are you careless, but you're (laughs) stir-crazy. And I had you in mind for a promotion to a candy machine.
2: Oh, I could handle it, sir. Honestly, I could. I'll work hard and I'll study if you'll just give me a chance.
13: Don't be childish, Sweeney. If
2: pennies frighten
13: you, two days in the nickel machine and you'd be a gibbering idiot.
2: (laughs) Oh, sir, I could use the promotion. My wife, well, she's she's going to have a baby.
13: Do you mean to stand there on that penny and tell me that you were about to become a father?
2: Well, sir, if it would make the company happy, I might try to become a mother.
13: Now, Sweeney, don't get smart with me.
2: But, sir, with the baby coming and everything, my wife is going to have to quit her job.
13: Your wife works.
2: Sweeney, with the money you're earning, you allow your wife to work. Well, sir, with prices the way they are, it's, it's awfully hard to get along on seven cents a week. Well, what kind of work does your wife do, Sweeney? She's with the gas company, Mr. March. Hmm? She sits under the grill in the middle of the gas stove. When you push the button, she blows the pilot light over towards the burner.
13: I'm sorry, Sweeney. I'd like to let you have that nickel machine, but my conscience just won't let me. I'm sorry.
2: Well, in that case, Mr. March, I'll just have to hand in my resignation. I I didn't want to take it, but I've had a job offered to me in the
13: movies. (laughs) What could you do in the movies?
2: Also, they're remaking an old picture, and they want me for the leading man. I'm just the type.
13: What's the name of this picture?
2: Little Women.
1: (laughs) The
12: Starlighters sleep one off now underneath the willow tree. the willow tree. We sat alone, Marie and me. There she said she'd marry me, under the willow tree. What a happy pair were we. Did I love her? Did she love me? There she said she'd wait for me, under the willow tree. We carved our names upon the tree. But now she's gone and left me And there's nothing I can do But wait Beside the willow tree Don't weep for me For willow tree Cause I'm gonna keep waiting for sweet
10: Marie Under the willow tree
12: Don't for me, willow tree i keep waiting for sweet Marie Under the willow tree Underneath the willow tree Sat alone, Marie and me There she said she'd marry me Under the willow tree Underneath the willow tree Sat alone, Marie and me There she said she'd marry me, under the willow tree. What a happy pair were we two, I love her, does she love me? There she said she'd wait for me, never to weep, no, no, for sweet Marie.
13: song, gang. Swell song. Wasn't that a wonderful arrangement, Bob? Bob, what's the matter? Don't you like the starlighters? No. You
2: don't? Why not? Well, that one in the middle makes fun about my hair. That I used to have. That's just, that's just kidding, Bob. You mustn't worry. Well, I just don't want to hear any more cracks about my hair. Or I'll be swinging on a starlighter. Please, please, Bob, control yourself. Well, I'll get that one
13: in the middle. Bob... The one in the middle is a girl. Well, that doesn't scare me. I can handle her.
11: <laughs>
13: Robert, please, let's do our next public servant. Now, in this, I'll play the part of the taxi cab driver. <laughs> Don't whistle for a cab yet, Bob. We're not ready.
2: I was whistling at that store later, Al.
13: Oh, well, you'll play the part of the guy who's in the big rush to get someplace in the taxi. Think you can handle that, Bob? Oh, uh, is it a yellow or a checkered cab? What possible difference can that make?
2: Oh, I guess you've never been president of the Yellow Cab Company.
12: <laughs> taxi
2: music, please. Hurry, Bob. The taxi's waiting out in front. all said, honey.
7: You got your suitcases?
6: Yeah.
2: Fishing rod? Yeah. Boots? Yeah.
7: All right, now have a nice time. Goodbye. Bye.
2: Bye. Now, where's that taxi? Yes? Yes?
7: Will you please let me in? You're the one who's leaving.
2: I was wondering where that taxi was. Oh, goodbye, dear. Bob, sweetie, haven't you forgotten something? Forgotten something? Did you kiss anybody? Oh, honey, this is no time to get suspicious.
7: Now, you just give me one little kiss.
2: Mm-mm. Honey, do I have to go on a vacation?
11: <laughs> now you run
2: along. The taxi's waiting. Okay, bye. Oh, well, here I am, driver. Let's go, and please hurry. I've got twenty minutes to catch a train.
13: He's got twenty minutes to catch a train. He says. <laughs> Why don't you take it nice and slow and easy, Mackie? You're going to get yourself a nice batch of ulcers. <laughs>
2: About that, you just drive to the Union Station. My train leaves in fifteen minutes.
13: Okay. Off we go into the wire, blue
2: yonder. Off driver, we go, driver. you're going in the opposite direction. The Union Station is the other way.
13: The other way, he says. Ever gone to the Union Station this way?
2: No, I certainly haven't. Then how do you know it's impossible? Listen, you. Uh, I'll wanna... uh, 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 uh. says. I'll says. Well.
13: You're certain you know what you're doing. Certainly I'm certain. I know this town like the back of my hand. See there, The back of my hand? See the back of my hand, Mac?
2: Yes, yes, I see it. It's awfully hairy around Main Street.
13: Ah! Hairy around Main Street, he says. But really, Mac, I know my driving. I only got a little crossed up once. Care to hear about it, Mac?
2: I'd love to. Would you like to pull over to the curb and get back here with me? Okay, but I'll have to leave the meter up. Now, you keep driving. I've only got 12 minutes to catch my train.
13: Okay, Mac, just
2: like you are saying.
13: Here we go. Look
2: out for that pedestrian!
13: You'll have to get in back, Mac. I can't drive what you sitting on a meter. <laughs>
11: That's it! That's it! a <laughs>
5: <laughs> moment, driver. I've got to get someplace quick. Uh-huh,
2: uh-huh, uh-huh. I caught you, I caught you Please, please, can't you see this driver's engaged?
1: That's so. well, congratulations, I hope you two will be very happy Oh, uh, well, for goodness sake
13: Now look, Chum, tell us where you want to go Grant's Tomb Never
5: heard of it
2: Grant's Tomb, that's in New York
5: Yes, sir, you've got a mighty fine head on your shoulders, friend. <laughs> on second
2: glance, you've got two mighty fine heads on your
11: shoulders.
2: Yes, yes, and yours is very nice, too. Uh, that's there, Grant's tomb. Driver, stop the cab, driver.
13: That ain't Grant's tomb. That's a city hall, Mac.
1: I beg to differ with you, sir. <laughs> I've been living here in Dilworth. The full of beer. For 26 years And I place a wreath on this steps every night You must be a Confederate man
2: All right, all right It's Grant's tomb Please pay the driver so I can get to my train That'll
13: be a dollar and 60 cents To a condition over which I
2: have no control I have only
13: 20 cents Look, yo The meter says a dollar 60 Can't
2: just back up to 20 cents? I'll pay his fare. Please, let's get to the station that's very kind of you, sir. And now
5: may I bid you good day? I have some friends waiting for me. Good afternoon, Mrs. Grant. It's a general home.
2: <laughs> may we go now?
13: What was your last question?
2: I said, may we go now? Certainly. Off
13: we go into the wild blue yonder. Off we driver. go. Into... Driver, and driver. Must you sing that song? Oh, sure. That's a song of my old outfit.
2: Oh, so you're an ex-service man. Oh, certainly. I was in the submarine service. I don't mean to disillusion you, but the song you just sang is from the Army Air
13: Corps. The Army Air Corps, huh? Yes. Oh. Down we go, into the wild green yonder. Down we go, into the fish.
2: Down we go. Driver. Driver, we're only a few blocks from the station. I got a couple of minutes. Would you please hurry?
13: Okay, Mac. I'll open a wide open.
2: Oh, no. Don't tell me you're stalled. Now, don't get excited, Max. You just stalled for a
13: minute. Don't go getting them ulcers. But you stalled it right in the middle of the railroad tracks.
2: What difference does that make? Does that answer your question? <laughs> now, I insist you get this car across these tracks. Look, bossy.
13: I got my end across. Now let's see what you can do with your end.
2: Can't you please do something? That train is practically on us. Everything is
13: going to be all right. You keep voiding like that and you'll get elsewhere, sure.
2: Hey, Mac. You okay? Oh. Oh, I'm in agony. My insides are killing me I know it Just like I told you You worry yourself
13: Right into a case of ulcers Thank you, thank you Ladies and gentlemen Ladies and gentlemen As we've said before We don't like to feel That we've put on this whole show For nothing
2: We don't like to feel that way But that's the way it is
13: (laughs) Bob I'm not talking about money Folks, we like to think that our show contains a message that perhaps you got more than five or six chuckles out of it.
2: Uh, we like to think you got ten chuckles out of it. We're dreamers. Bob, please, this is serious.
13: We'd like to know that you folks at home get a lift out of our sketches, that they have some significance for you. And so tonight, we're happy to read a telegram that has just come in from one of our listeners. Uh, Bob, will you bring that Western Union boy, uh, over boy here, please? Boy, uh, here he is, Hal. Fine. Now, son, would you be kind enough to read the wire you just
2: delivered so that we may all hear just what our audience thinks of us? Hollywood, California? September 14th. Mm-hmm. Dear Sweeney in March, Stop. Signed, Mrs. Kennedy. <laughs>
11: Thank you, <old> July, everybody.
12: <laughs> and next week, same time, same station, Sweeney in March with the starlighters and Wilbur Hatch's office. Bob LeMond speaking, this is CBS the Columbia, broadcasting City.